With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello guys, what is going on? Daniel Charles back here again for another edition of Let's Talk Chelsea. It is the farewell in Golo Kante show, or at least the first one we're going to be doing because it appears that Kante is on the verge of joining Al Itihad in uh, Saudi Arabia. An astonishing twist uh, that we have been speaking about in recent days, but still to to kind of realise that this is the farewell probably of N'Golo Kante's uh, Chelsea career. You know, could have happened and, and, and was a possibility always this summer. And we felt that for most of this year. But particularly the twist in, in kind of feeling that he actually may stay and, and sign that new contract to now move on is is quite staggering. So we'll get into that, what it means and for Chelsea addressing the issue and the midfield problems that need to be faced up to this summer from Chelsea. We're then going to speak about Levi Colwell and how that impacts the, the chase now for Moises Casado. Some other news regarding another midfielder Chelsea apparently are interested in and a little bit on Kai Havertz too. Before we get into any of that good stuff, if you are new around here on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, turn on those notifications so you don't miss any of the uploads. If you are listening on the podcast feed, thank you so much for tuning in. Do you want to shout out another podcast I am a part of and that is View from the Bridge, uh, football.london's Chelsea podcast. I'm now doing an extra episode of that hosting, an extra episode of that podcast a week. Uh, last week, it was it was me and Scott Trotter we were kind of reviewing the season from the men's side and then this week was lucky enough to have uh, Beth Lindup who is one of Reach's uh, uh, women's football writers to talk about the women's team the brilliant job Emma Hayes has continued to do this season the WSL fourth consecutive title triumph the FA Cup win so definitely go and check out that podcast link in the description box below but we are going to start with N'Golo Kante um, so we did say the other day regarding the potential of him joining a Saudi Arabian club because obviously they are making huge moves this summer for some players. It's Karim Benzema, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, already moved to Al Nasir at the start of this year. Lionel Messi apparently has been in negotiations. I've even seen before recording this, Ilkay Gundogan is going to get a, a proposal to, to move there. So they are making a big play for some very big names uh, to really boost the profile of that league. And then we got it last night from Fabrizio Romano that... There were sort of negotiations and, and proposals to Ingolo Kante. And basically, they were too good to turn down from Kante's point of view. Directors arrived in London to link up with the PIF Saudi delegation to prepare documents. Of course, PIF, there are links to Newcastle there. And this is a much broader discussion in terms of Saudi Arabia. I mean, even Todd Bowley was out in Saudi Arabia and was pictured um, in, a, in a room having meetings. So, you know, th there is a lot more to this story than just a Saudi Arabian club coming in for a player uh, of ours. It's or, or a player that, you know, Chelsea fans would like to keep. There is, of course, I guess you, the argument of sports washing, but that, you know, that's a different conversation for another day. 100 million apparently per year until 2025. So this is a staggering 
number and you know it's similar to what Benzema has been offered so it's understandable and I did say the other day with Kante at the end of his career nearing the end of his career the injury problems he's had there also was a reference I believe from Nazar Kinsella that that maybe from the, the Saudi Arabian side of things um, they look at him as a, as a Muslim role model and I believe Karen Benzema is a Muslim as well so there is a maybe that part of it is is attractive to him um, but of course financially it's it's an amazing payday to end your career we have been dealing without N'Golo Kante for large periods of recent seasons. This is not like losing Eden Hazard in the sense that Hazard, when he left Chelsea in 2019, was at the peak of his powers and was such an integral player. We've had to live without Kante for a lot of times in recent years. And I do feel that this in some ways, kind of just to talk about Chelsea now and what Chelsea have to do, and we will get to this beyond speaking about Kante and his legacy and all of that, you know, Chelsea, it's not like we're losing a player that is playing week in, week out. A lot of the discussions we've been having around Kante and to some annoyance of some people, because when you bring up Kante's very real injury record, people seem to think that you're dismissing his talent or you're disrespecting his value. You know, I don't know how people make that kind of assessment and make that connection. It's just the reality that if you have a player who's consistently injured and they are an integral player or they're a player that can make big differences for you, you know, that obviously is going to impact your plans. And I, I think it was silly for Chelsea and it was just not a viable strategy for Chelsea to continue to rely on Kante's fitness because it is so fragile. So it's not like you're losing a player that week in, week out is playing for us. But you are losing someone who has been one of Chelsea's greatest ever signings, who is irreplaceable. But the, the thing about Kante, when we look back at his Chelsea career now, I'm signing him for 30 million. I do want to play this clip that uh, I think haters shared on Twitter in terms of a clip from Michael Emanalo, Chelsea's formal, former technical director, uh, about his first day in training and how much he impressed everyone. So I'll play that clip now. When N'Golo arrived for the first time for training session in Minneapolis, in the United States, and uh, trained for the first time, of course we knew how good he was. And all top players can attest to this. Everybody knew how good N'Golo was, that's why we signed him. Uh, but after the training session, all the superstars at Chelsea Football Club gravitated towards him to give him a hug and a wonderful welcome. It is a testimony to a recognition of his wonderful talent. We knew then that we got lucky and I sent flowers to Leicester Football Club <laughs> for letting us have it. And it's about sort of extracting the value from Ingolo Kante. And, and I think it's another one of these cases, maybe one of the, the few we're going to see in the upcoming years of a player that we have got so much out of and has been one of our greatest ever signings. I think there, there is a very serious debate now. Is Ingolo Kante Chelsea's best ever signing in terms of value? I feel like Frank Lampard for 11 million is still obviously going to, you know, very much challenge that. Uh, but we are talking about inflation in the market, you know. Trying to find Kante, another Kante is, is probably impossible, but trying to find a player who brings that level to your club and and really uh, takes the level up, you know, has an influence in a Premier League title win, in a Champions League title win, very much changes the conversation in terms of what, of what a midfielder can do. You know, I think it's very difficult, you know, inflation in the market, as we'll get to with a player like Moises Casado, maybe would have cost you 30 or 40 million a few years ago. Not so the case now. But still, it is when you still look at that fee, when you look at what Chelsea have got from Kante, it, it's remarkable. And I, I feel that Kante, 
goes as a Chelsea legend and just a, a truly wonderful player to watch. Now, I think we all could see from a distance Kante the brilliant impact he had on that astonishing Leicester title win. But then just watching him from the off and seeing how at his best what he's been able to do, the Premier League title win, obviously he had a huge hand in that. Um, even the next season when things were a little bit more difficult under Conte, he still was head and shoulders above everyone else. Of course, this this relates to, you know relates to his his injury problems, but you know his influence in the Europa League triumph over Arsenal. Of course, playing that game that then had a knock on effect for Frank Lampard and Thomas Tuchel. But under Tuchel, I will keep on saying this: without N'Golo Kante, we do not win the Champions League in 2021. He is as much as anyone else, as much as all the great performances and heroes of that run. Kante is the defining part of it. A truly astonishing midfielder, someone who very rightly is going to have, I think, chapters, maybe books written about him of his influence in football and how unique of a player he is. And it's a shame we can't see him for one more season. I'm sure Pochettino is a little bit gutted, but he goes as one of our greatest ever signings and you can't really begrudge him that at this stage of his career uh, and a player that will be talked about and fondly remembered for, for years and years to come. The Kante role, I think we'll be talking about it, but I think to try and replace Kante, of course, is, is very, very difficult. But that's something Chelsea are going to have to do. I do want to just briefly pivot from this slightly because it does relate to Moises Casado um, in terms of apparently now Brighton are now preparing a new record bid for Levi Colwell, close to around 40 million. Chelsea, of course, as we, we spoke about last week, turned down a 30 million bid and have no intention to sell him. Brighton apparently are demanding more than 70 million for Moise Casado. This is what the Telegraph reported earlier this week. We know that they're, they're, they're going to try and get a big fee. I mean, they've just sold um, Alex Alexis McAllister for around 30-something million to Liverpool. I mean, given his impact on that team. I think it is a release clause, something along those lines, a little bit like Kante, right? That's kind of a ridiculously low fee. So they are going to want to get the most out of Moises Casado if they are going to lose him this summer. And it does appear more and more now with Ugarte going to PSG and with uh, Ingolo Kante leaving, the likelihood that Mateo Kovacic will be leaving. Chelsea are going to have to go big in signing new central midfielders. Um, and what I want to say is, I, even though I believe firmly that Chelsea need to sign a, a defensive-minded midfielder, someone who is going to add energy and, and, and a lot of mobility to that area, it does not come at the expense of Levi Colwell. Firstly, because Chelsea made their decision last year to not let Colwell leave permanently. And it didn't even mean a cheaper fee for Mokka Correa. You know, we still paid around, you know, a fee going up to £60 million for him and we loaned him. And I just... I don't see, once you've made that firm start, I think Chelsea would look pretty ridiculous now. And if you believe that Moise Casado is a player that is going to be integral to Chelsea's midfield in upcoming years, I think you pay the money for him now, rather than basically losing a key player, another key player that could form the spine of your defence for, for upcoming years. Levi is, is an incredible talent. And I just, there, there's no kind of, it's not, it's not a case where, well, you know, he's not really that proven and well, you know, it, it, can he still rise to the level? There's been enough evidence now, firm evidence that this is a, a very outstanding young prospect. And the fact that Chelsea was so adamant of not selling him last year and the fact that they keep on saying there's no intention to sell, this is where you, you are going to be tested because I'm pretty sure that Brighton are going to try and test Chelsea's resolve. And it's about Chelsea putting a firm stance down and saying, no, he's not going. And also Chelsea showing to Levi Carwell, like other youngsters, that they aren't going to be sort of passed over by more experienced players. If you sell Kadu Koulibaly, if you sell Motka Correa, 
at, of course, a financial hit. What does that say to those players? I think it sends a very positive message to young players that actually we're not just going to rest on our laurels. We're not also just going to indulge older players and more expensive players because they failed. We want to be ruthless. And I think that is being ruthless in the right way. But I think Moises Casado for me, is, is an exciting one. He really is. And I think he ticks a lot of boxes. That phrase I have used before, but I think is important. Another midfielder who I'm not quite sure fills the same bracket. But as we say, if we're going to lose one, two, three central midfielders, you need to replace them. Uh, Jacob Steinberg reporting in The Guardian yesterday that Chelsea have joined the race for Celta Vigo's 40, 34 million, sorry, Gabri uh, Vega, and are likely to sell Kai Havertz. Uh, Vega has emerged as one of the best young midfielders in Europe, and his contract contains a 34 million buyout clause. Chelsea, who also want uh, Casado, are prepared to push hard for him. Liverpool will consider moving for Vega once they complete the signing of the midfielder Alex McAllister, which they've basically done at this point. Pochettino is to oversee a, a summer of change. Chelsea need to sell players after spending close to 600 million on signings in the past 12 months. Kovacic is likely to join Man City. As we know, Man United have opened talks over Mason Mount. Milan interested in Ruben Loftus-Cheek, another midfielder likely to move on. Kante um, is likely to move to Saudi Arabia. Vega is an impressive player when you look at his numbers from an attacking point of view. He does not fill the void of a defensive-minded midfielder. But he does score quite a few goals, at least in terms of a very young player, 21 years old. He scored around 11 goals this season. I think it is 11 goals for Celta Vigo. And just to give you context, I mean, in the Liga for Celta Vigo, they finished 13th. And they were only three points above the relegation zone on the final day. So... You know, this is not one of the top teams. This is very much a mid-table team and he, he is performing above kind of his level. And the accusation, Chelsea have lacked goals in a lot of areas, but they've also lacked goals from a central midfielder. And it, it, given how young he is, I mean, I did look at his FB ref, which I say isn't always the full picture, but gives you kind of a, a general overview of what he looks like as a player. And in terms of attacking, in terms of the percentile of non-penalty goals, non-penalty XG shots, um, non-penalty XG all of that stuff, progressive carries, take-ons, touches in the attacking uh, penalty area. All of those things speak to an attacking-minded player, someone who can have an impact in the final third. That in itself is not a bad thing from a central midfielder. But in terms of that that other side to the game, tackles, interceptions, blocks, you know, that is not what he's in the team for. Of course, you always have to say that there are players, you know, given certain instructions. But, you know, I, I don't think I'm looking at Vega as someone who who very much feels the, the main priority like Moises Casado does. And when you look at FB ref who they compare him to, Eze from Crystal Palace is is one of the names instantly as, as number one. So you're not talking about, uh, Golovin is another one there. You, you're talking about a certain creative type of midfielder. So that is, is something for context. But that doesn't mean he'd be a bad signing. It's just, I think we have to, you know, differentiate between someone like uh, Vega and Moise Casado. Seb, uh, see, I definitely suggest go and follow him. Uh, coach, coaching background and, and does a lot of uh, good sort of breakdowns of, of players he thinks Chelsea should be buying. I definitely suggest again, go and follow him. He brought up this uh, little graph here from Smart Scout, which looked at N'Golo Kante, Moises Casado, and Lucas Gornadioff, who um, plays for RB uh, Salzburg, but does he, he's sort of looking at different seasons here. N'Golo Kante in 21-22, uh, Moise Casado from this season at Brighton, and then finally uh, Gornadioff from uh, the 21-22 season when he was still in France before he joined RB Salzburg. I do just want to say about Moise Casado, this is more proof if you are watching on YouTube in terms of 
what Chelsea need from a defensive-minded midfielder. Uh, so impressive from Wes Cassette, of course, playing in a very, very well-performing team at Brighton. Of course, you have to factor in that he is in a very settled environment comparative to Chelsea. Uh, but I just think, again, in terms of ball retention, in terms of his ability to recover, in his ability to tackle, his just... Casado is someone who I think for, for matches, a bit like what we were saying with Ugarte, but I think matches kind of that very aggressive nature that Mauricio Pochettino would want to bring to this Chelsea team. And I think with Enzo Fernandez as well, partnering someone like Casado, you can imagine Casado doing a lot of the legwork and giving that time to say Enzo Fernandez, let's say in a, a 4 2 3 1 or a 4 3 3. I think it would give um, Fernandez and other midfielders that Chelsea have on their books a, a lot of license. So I, I really do think, and I'll come back to this, Chelsea, they're losing a few midfielders now, but you know, in, obviously we're not getting a fee for N'Golo Kante, but I would say we've extracted a lot of value from Kante in the years he's been at Chelsea. And also you're taking a hefty wage off the books, which sometimes we don't really talk about because a lot of the time when the headlines come up, we're talking about fees. We're talking about that. That always remains in the media. The biggest obsession is the fee rather than the wages, which for a lot of these big clubs can sometimes define whether you do a transfer or not. You know, are the wages um, right with sort of your structure? Are they breaking that structure? What does it mean if you buy that player? What does it say to other players? I think that that in itself is is something to to think about here. They're taking a, a big wage with Kante off, as well as Ruben Loftus Cheek, as well as potentially Mason Mount and Matteo Kovacic. So that in itself, you know, obviously creates space for Chelsea to potentially spend big in the transfer market in the central midfield because they kind of have to this summer. That is it for today's show. I mean, I, I there was the Neymar story which again is cropped up and I just, I roll my eyes once again because it feels like every summer now, I mean, he, he's, it feels a little bit like Hulk, uh, the sequel effectively. I'm not talking about Marvel's Hulk. I'm talking about Hulk, of course, he played for Zenit at one point. Um, I believe he's back in uh, Brazil now. He was linked to Chelsea for so many years and nothing ever materialised. And it's a bit like what I was saying about Cristiano Ronaldo last year. I mean, th there is no other than Chelsea's ownership you know, it breaks down all kind of, um, I mean, whether they have a strong reputation or not is kind of arguable given the way they're, they're perceived, particularly boldly in the media. But it really would undermine any idea of bringing in young players, of bringing the, the wage of Bill down, of, of, of bringing in Mauricio Pochettino. Uh, to, to go for someone like Neymar it's just so indulgent and it would just be I think a horrible sign um, in terms of, of going for that superstar kind of uh, law when when really you know Neymar coming towards the end of his career has had a lot of injury problems I mean I could see him going to Saudi Arabia at some point too it's just it would make no sense but it just seems like all the time now Neymar and Chelsea will get linked for the the end of time he'll be close to retirement He'll be out, you know, out of football completely, and he'll still be linked to Chelsea. It's just, it's just one of those things that just seems to happen every single summer. So I'm not taking it that seriously. Thank you guys for watching. Follow me on Twitter at Son of Chelsea, and I'll see you again very soon. All the best. Podcast Network.